You're listening to the Whatcom Report, a Bellingham Regional Chamber of Commerce program in partnership with KGMI. Good morning and welcome to the Whatcom Report here on KGMI News Talk 790. Sometimes when buying or selling real estate, legal issues can arise, like boundaries, fence placement, and homeowner association rules. Or if you're looking at an investment, should you purchase in your own name or have a business entity like an LLC hold the title to the property? When faced with a potential legal issue, who can best answer those questions? When is it appropriate to contact an attorney? We'll hear from a local real estate and land use attorney to answer those questions and more. But you have to stay tuned, so don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory-trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. Ask the experts with Western Solar. When buying solar, customers often ask how they will even know if their system's working properly. I get that all the time, and it's really important. Fortunately, all Western Solar systems come with web-based monitoring that can be easily accessed through a smartphone app or web portal. Customers can monitor individual panels, their whole system, and their electrical consumption as well. Yeah, what's fun about our system monitoring is how it can change folks' behavior. I personally love charging my electric car only when the sun is shining. As for the solar panels, it does feel good knowing that Western Solar's tied into my monitoring system and that we're both getting all automated emails if any equipment fails during the entire life of the system. Yeah, and and maybe the best part is that after installation, web monitoring is completely free for the rest of the system's life. Do you have questions about solar? Come visit us on Home Road in Bellingham and online at westernsolarinc.com. Ask the experts with Western Solar. With thousands of residential, commercial, and institutional projects already installed, Western Solar is one of the leading providers of renewable energy in the Northwest. Find them today at westernsolarinc.com. Welcome back to the Whatcom Report. My name is Mary Kay Robinson, and I'm a realtor with Winnemar Real Estate here in Whatcom County and one of the hosts of the Whatcom Report. The purpose of the Whatcom Report is to connect our community to the issues that affect Whatcom County. To this end, the Bellingham Regional Chamber of Commerce presents this program on a weekly basis to talk about the subjects that affect business in our area. Your Bellingham Regional Chamber of Commerce is committed to creating a strong local economy, promoting the community, providing networking opportunities, representing the interests of business with government, and facilitating factually grounded dialogue with business. For more information about the Chamber, go to bellingham.com or call 360-734-1330. My guest this morning is Patrick Burns, a real estate and land use attorney at Adelstein, Sharp, and Circa here in Bellingham. He regularly advises individuals and businesses in a variety of real estate and business-related matters. Patrick is a graduate in the University of California Berkeley School of Law and has been practicing law since 2012. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi, Mary Kay. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm anxious to learn all sorts of stuff. I've always been fascinated by legal issues and, and, and what goes in there. So let's first talk about ownership issues. A lot of folks are considering or thinking about maybe I'll own this and maybe I'll do Airbnb, you know, with my house or buy rental property for that. Can they can they do that? What should they consider? Right. Good question, Mary Kay. It's definitely becoming uh, increasingly popular as home values go up and people are maybe looking to defray the cost of home ownership, make some money on the side. Um, there are a number of things to keep in mind, though. You're you're probably going to have you're going to need to look at state law, um, potentially county regulations, as well as city regulations, depending on where you live. Um, so to take the, the city level first, if you're in the city of Bellingham, for example, um, it's going to depend on the zoning of where the house is located. Um, 
if you're in a residential zoned area, which a lot of the single family homes in Bellingham are, there are pretty strict requirements actually on what you can do as far as an Airbnb goes. And I think the idea is to maintain the residential character of these neighborhoods, which a lot of neighbors probably appreciate. Um, So one of those restrictions is the home has to be owner-occupied actually for 270 days a year. So this is just in residential zoning, but in those... um, in those zones, it's going to be a little bit difficult to to have a rental Airbnb home um, unless you plan to live there for a large portion of the year. Now, if you're talking about um, a commercial or an urban village zone, um, which are a little bit more of the mixed-use areas, more downtown, that kind of thing, um, the, the owner-occupancy requirement goes away. So you, you don't have to live there. You've got more flexibility. And in those zones, there's there's no limit on how many short-term rentals you can have, whereas in a residential zone, you're limited to just one. Um, so that's going to be really important to check out your zoning, figure out where you are on the map. Um, and Ferndale and other cities have their own rules on that. Um, in, in the city of Bellingham, just to use that as a continuing example, you're going to have to um, apply for a permit through the city. They'll have to do an inspection. Um, and then they, they've got some some of their own specific requirements about what is and isn't allowed at, at these Airbnbs. Um, like parking, I think would, parking. Be, would be a big one too. Exactly. Yeah, that's an important one. And that's actually one of their first guidelines is you have to provide at least um, one off-street parking space during a guest stay in a residential zone, um, just, just to make sure, right, that that's taken care of. Um, you can't you can't unreasonably disturb the neighbors. Um, you can't have events for compensation there. So they want to try to, you know, keep the character of the neighborhood a little bit while also allowing some flexibility for people. Um, another um, another issue that comes up is the Landlord Tenant Act. Actually, and yes, I was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And and so. My view, and I think the the prevailing view among attorneys right now, is that the Landlord-Tenant Act Act applies to Airbnbs, which I think comes as a surprise to a lot of people because it's got a lot of rules in it, and it's not really specifically geared towards these short-term rentals. But the Act is very broad to apply to basically all lodging arrangements with a few exemptions for things like workers um, living on a farm property or people in motels, but the exemptions um, don't cover Airbnbs or short-term rentals specifically. So I think that is a little bit of a gap in the law right now where you've got really detailed requirements about what needs to be in a lease, for example. Um, exactly. And I, Yeah. And I think the um, you know security deposits, what you can do to, to keep a deposit, stuff like that, that's not you know, the, the Landlord-Tenant Act is very tenant-friendly with the idea being that housing is such an essential need. And, you know, of course, there should be safeguards to protect people from being evicted from their housing. But it's a little different when you're talking about more of a vacation rental, right? right. So it's a, it's a different category altogether. Mm-hmm. So that's an opportunity for elected officials. By the way, we have an election coming up. Every, I hope everyone votes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I think it is an area that um, maybe could use a little bit of work. Um, and, and where this might really come up, I, I haven't seen this, but if you've got a, a guest that overstays their welcome, then, of course, the Landlord-Tenant Act has very detailed eviction procedures that you arguably would have to follow. So you couldn't just, say, change the locks or apply to Airbnb to get them kicked out. You may actually have to go to court to get a guest who overstays their welcome out of your place, which I don't think a lot of Airbnb hosts think about. No. And Airbnbs, they're not going to swoop in and help you. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. I don't don't think they're, yeah, I don't think they're going to be eager to do that. (laughs) Well, it's something to be aware of. If, if you're considering, Hey, I'll make some cash on the side, be, be aware that there's, there, there could be issues. Not that there will be, but Right. I think it's manageable, certainly. And we've helped clients um, set up Airbnb arrangements before. I think it's just a matter of of looking through the steps and sort of, you you know, making sure you're aware of what the rules are. And as with a lot of investments, you know, what what risks are you willing to take on? um, But being, you know, being aware of those risks before you get started. Well, speaking of risks and owning, you know, investment or income property, 
uh, investors owning rental properties will sometimes purchase it in their own name or they'll look to put the property into an LLC. Now, there's advantages and disadvantages. Uh, bre- go through that briefly. How sure. does that work? Sure. Yeah, good question, Mary Kay. I think um, so for a rental property, people might want to put the property into a limited liability company. And the, the main reason to do that is is in the name. It, it limits your liability potentially so that if you have personal assets, um, the theory is they would not be touched if something were to happen, say someone gets hurt in your rental property and they file a lawsuit. Now, that's the main advantage. Um, and, and the answer as to whether to, to put your property into an LLC or not might have to do with whether you're more of a um, mom and pop type landlord or a more of a professional landlord with a number of properties because there are some um, administrative and sort of financial hurdles to putting property into an LLC, right? So you're going to have some added expenses. You're going to have to pay to incorporate a business with the state, um, possible legal fees to put together an operating agreement, um, an annual report fee with the state, you know, the cost to file and record a quit claim deed to, to put the property in your LLC's name. So there are some upfront costs for sure. And then the other thing to keep in mind is you're going to have to do all the business for this property in the name of the LLC once it's up and running. So you've got to be really careful to make sure that you're, you've got, for example, the leases or the lease with your tenant, that the, the LLC is the landlord, not you, um, that the insurance policy for the house is in the name of the LLC, um, bank accounts, utilities. So there's a fair amount to um, keep in mind for um, sort of your, if you've just got one rental property, for example, it's, it's a fair, a decent amount of administrative work. Um, of course, there are professionals that can help you with that. You may have a property management company, an accountant, an attorney, or someone else that can kind of um, keep you on the right path with that kind of thing. But Sometimes, you know, we do see clients who have an LLC, but they neglect a little bit some of the formalities. And that's actually when you you can sort of get in trouble with an LLC, because if something happens and then a lawsuit's filed and just the LLC is named in the lawsuit, um, what the, the party filing the lawsuit will often want to do is try to come after your personal assets anyway. And there is law in Washington that... Um, that they can do that if if an LLC is poorly managed or mismanaged. Yeah. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh no. So those records are you got to keep those records clean. Yeah, they're actually really important and part of that is the idea that you can't, you know, commingle your personal money with the LLC. So you've really got to treat it as you know, as a real business. It's not just something you set up and forget about it. You've got to run it like a business to to really get the liability protections and um We'll have clients who, you know, the other thing, people, so people think it's a liability shield, and it is to some extent. Um, in practice, though, when a lawsuit's filed against just an LLC um, with our clients, for instance, uh, we'll usually defend the lawsuit as if they were personally named because the alternative is to let the plaintiff get a judgment against the LLC, and then the risk is that they can come after your personal assets, and you may have waived some of your defenses by not actually defending in the name of the LLC. So it's sometimes not actually quite as much of a liability shield as you think. So really what we recommend is work with your insurance company, get really good insurance policies, and try to get make sure you have coverage that way. An LLC is not a bad idea, but you've got to make sure to follow the, the appropriate gotta, steps. It's not just get the LLC name. It's all the other stuff that goes with it. Right. right. So you've got to – exactly. You've got to be committed to to seeing it through basically. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about some of the ins and outs of legal stuff with real estate after a break. Want to save 25% on your utility bill guaranteed? Call Clean Air. They're the only local heating company to offer a 25% utility savings guarantee. Plus, when you install a new Lennox system with Clean Air, you'll make no payments until 2023 when you finance your new Lennox system for as little as $132 a month and receive up to $1,200 in rebates on the complete Ultimate Comfort System. Don't get stuck with another winter of high energy bills. Call cleanair.com. See dealer for details. Derek here at DD Insurance. I'm here to talk to you about your Medicare options. 
There are generally two options to choose from once you qualify for Medicare. Medicare supplements, where Medicare is primary, or Medicare Advantage plans, which are contracted plans by Medicare. Understanding the differences between these two options is where we come in. My wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff, will help you navigate the options so you can make an informed decision. While your Medicare and you book does explain the options and how they work, we all have complicated issues that the book doesn't always answer. Like, will the UW be covered? Or Seattle Cancer Care Alliance? Can I see any doctor? Or am I covered if I travel outside of the country? If I make a choice and it turns out there are better options, can I change? We have the answers to all these questions and more. Call us at 392-8159, D&D Insurance on the Bounty Drive in Ferndale and online at dndinsurance.com. Get informed and inspired with Saturday Morning Live on KGMI. Join a group of knowledgeable hosts as they present a variety of guests and viewpoints on issues important to our area and to you and your family. Sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC at Linden Sheet Metal each Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Welcome back to the Whatcom Report. Mary Kay Robinson here is your host, and we're talking with Patrick Burns, real estate and land use attorney at Elsdin Sharp and Circa. We're talking all things legal with owning real estate, whether it's your owner-occupied property or rental, or we've just finished up a segment on Airbnb, which I thought was fascinating. I learned a couple of things. So, Patrick, I want to move on now to another issue that I've had happen. My parents, perhaps some parents are getting older, your parents are older, and they're thinking about adding you or siblings to the title. Um, how would they do that? And from an estate planning standpoint, is that a good idea? Yeah, good question, Mary Kay. I think this can come up in a few different contexts. Um, one might be sort of what you suggested. Um, parents own a home. Let's say they've got you know kids in their, let's say a kid in their 20s or 30s who's not able to afford their own home, but they might want to pass on that home to their, their kid. Um, they think about, hey, I'll, I'll just put them on title, right? And then they'll take the home when I pass or when I decide to move out? Well, it's, it's unfortunately with most legal questions, not quite that simple. Um, what we recommend to clients if you are thinking about co-owning a home with someone is that you enter into a, a joint tenancy agreement or a tenants in common agreement. And um, joint tenancy with right of survivorship, it's called, is a, a form of legal ownership where there are two or more people on title and at the death of one of them, the other person essentially inherits all of the property um, outside of probate. So that can be used as an estate planning mechanism. Um, it's not terribly common um, because if you have other assets, you're likely going to have to have a probate anyway. So sometimes people want to avoid probate by putting their house in one of these forms of ownership or an LLC. Um that often doesn't work because you've got to do it with all your assets. But um, I see, I see. And doesn't it? Um, and also, isn't there a difference if you if you're just put on title, that's fine. Versus when you inherit the property, you get the stepped up basis. Versus, you know, maybe it was ten years ago and things have changed. Right. So there's going to be some tax implications too. Um, if that's right, if you inherit property, you'll get a stepped up basis. Um, the rules can be different depending on how the property's owned, though. Um, so definitely something to, to check with an accountant on um, when you do this. Um, the other thing from a legal perspective um, that we'll advise people to do is enter into a written agreement with your co-owner to address things like what happens if someone wants to move out of the property? What happens if someone wants to sell? Usually, uh, these agreements will allow the other owner a right of first refusal to buy the other person's interest in the property. Um, and if the other person can't afford to buy it, then the property might be uh, marketed and sold to a third person and both people have to move out. But the agreement's going to want to address things like that and things like who pays for repairs? How do you, how do you decide if the roof needs to be replaced? Who's going to pay for that? And, and there's a number of different ways to, to address those issues. But, um, the point is to have a, a good agreement in place at the outset about how you want to to handle that so you don't 
run into issues down the road. Well, at the beginning, not after the fact, and then you're trying to you know negotiate that afterwards. It sometimes could be some post some issues, I imagine. Right. Yeah. Things always seem great at the outset, but you want to <laughs> get get them in writing while they seem good. Exactly. So the next issue I want to talk on uh, talk about is when. Uh, when a homeowner finds out, perhaps through a title report, that the home they're buying has an encroachment, maybe a building or a fence, what are the issues there and what would be the best way to address that issue? Because they're, they're encroaching, meaning they're, they're on, that fence or that edge of that corner of that building is on your property. So how, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on what you're planning to use the property for, what the encroachment's like, and, and how much it interferes with your use of the property. Um, to give you an example, when my wife and I bought our home here, we, we learned from the title report that uh, one of our neighbors had a, a corner of his retaining wall was encroaching a foot or so onto our property. On, in an Perfect air- example. Perfect. And that was something that we, um, you know, we looked into, we talked about with our realtor, and we decided... We weren't going to do anything about it because this was in a sort of a corner of our property. There was no way he was going to be able to move this huge retaining wall. And we didn't want to begin our neighborly relationship with him by telling him that he was on our property in part two. But, um, you know, you might have another scenario where your neighbor's got, you know, a shed that's five feet onto your property. And you might think, you know, that that doesn't really work. Um, so we've got to address that. So usually in a, a purchase and sale agreement, um, there's something called a title contingency where the buyer's going to have a period of time to examine a title report from the title company, look at what's on title, are there any encroachments, um, and then ask the seller if they are able to remove the encroachments, or uh, if not, then the buyer may have the option to terminate the contract and not go through with the purchase of the property. So um, it's going to depend a little bit on how big of a deal it is, really, and uh, how much it interferes with your use of the property. Um, a couple solutions, for example, if you you still want to buy the property, but something's over the line, you could um, work out an easement with the encroaching neighbor, right? Give them the right to, to use your property. Um, let's say it's a, a fence that's over the line. You could even do an easement, so the fence is on your property by a few feet. You could grant your neighbor an easement, allowing them to keep the fence there, but even providing that when the fence is needs to be replaced or is destroyed, they've got to move it back onto their property, right? Right. But then you still retain control of that fence because there's the, the question is like, well, if I have this fence, this is the follow-up question then, and I, I encroach on someone else's property, it's like, well, then it's mine now. It's an adverse possession, right? Right, potentially. Um, yeah, so, so what is adverse possession? So that is... Um, continuous uninterrupted possession of property for 10 years or more that's hostile to the uh, adjoining property owner, meaning that they didn't give you permission to be there. So in the the previous example, if you grant your neighbor an easement to be on your property, you've given them permission and they no longer have an adverse possession claim against you, um, which they may waive in the easement anyway. So you, um, you, you know, but yeah, if your fence is over on your neighbor's property and, and they, maybe they get a survey done and they want to do some work on their property and they tell you, you know, hey, you've got to move your fence. Yeah, then you're in, on, on the flip side. And you've got to think about, do I want to move forward with an adverse possession claim? Um, and so that's going to be a lawsuit in court, which is, you know, unpredictable, expensive, and usually a last resort. Um, so we'll generally, you know, initially counsel clients to try to work with their neighbors, maybe try to get an easement from them, um, you know, even... Working it out between your yourself and your neighbors is usually the best way to go. <laughs> yeah, otherwise um, it gets it can get expensive quickly. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely some some good questions and some things that come up a lot. Well, because I've heard that happen, or I've heard that question was like, "Well, I'll just get adverse possession," you know, or uh, and I said, "That's that does, that's not an automatic. It's not automatic. There's a whole process." Right. Yeah, you're going to have to go through with a lawsuit. You're you're going to have to prove that you used the property for the time period, which is often ten years. So that's you know that's a fair amount of of history that you've you've got to say you know maybe hey I I mowed the lawn in this you know ten by twenty strip for for ten years and and you can use the previous owner's um, possession of the property to tack on to your time period too. But then you know you're looking at 
some real issues of proof. Are you going to be able to get the previous owner to testify for you that they mowed this lawn every Sunday for five years? You know, it, it becomes it becomes challenging uh, as a matter of practice to, to sometimes to get the testimony that you need, even if it seems like a slam dunk. So typically, you know, some kind of easement or an agreement that you will um, put the put the fence back on your, you know, back at the property line when it needs to be replaced is probably going to be the way to go. Work with your neighbor. That's uh, that's what I'm hearing <laughs> overarching is like work with the neighbor. So we're going to talk more with Patrick about legal issues that affect you as an owner of property in just a moment. You know, when I was younger, I thought retirement would be boring. But now that we're living at Meadow Greens Retirement, I'm out of my cart taking full advantage of the complimentary unlimited golf play all week long. So... I'm having the time of my life. Meadow Green's active senior living community will change how you think about senior living. Located on a premier golf course with spectacular views, Meadow Green's offers a fitness center, wellness programs, tailored social and recreational activities, and unlimited golf play with cart at Homestead Golf Club. One and two bedroom apartments with full kitchens are available, offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a social meal at the Outward Nine Restaurant or the Duck Hook Bistro. And Meadow Green's can be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. What makes your team look more professional and carry a bold statement that they're proud to work for your company? A crisp company logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Sun is shining and I feel so Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery, heat application, screen printing, and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Your company apparel should reflect the standards of your business. And when your team wears Bergen's customized apparel, it will. Bergen's new owners understand the importance of your image. They go the extra mile to provide crisp logo apparel. They guarantee that the order will be completed on time to your specific specifications with a smile. Elevate your company brand with Bergen customized company apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags and more, Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham and online at bergenembroidery.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Whatcom County and Northwest Washington offer endless beauty, and our phones make it possible for us to capture it instantly. And now KGMI is giving you another way to share your incredible pictures with Whatcom Wanderings. Just go to KGMI.com, look for Whatcom Wanderings, post your photos, and tell us where you took them. So share your pictures of our area's incredible beauty and complexity with Whatcom Wanderings at KGMI.com. The itsy bitsy spider crawled up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed that. That fur isn't itsy bitsy, Dad. Oh, don't worry, kiddo. It's just a story. No, Dad, that fur on the windowsill. The itsy bitsy spider is cute when it's only a nursery rhyme. But if your home has big, hairy, nasty spiders, don't panic. Call BioBug today. BioBug, service you trust, experience you expect. In Whatcom, Skagit, and Island counties and online at biobug.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. A properly operating furnace will guarantee that you stay comfortable as the seasons change. Contact West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electric for a system inspection today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to the Walker Report. Mary Kay Robinson here is your host, and we're talking all things legal with home ownership or land that you own. 
uh, here in, in Whatcom County. And my guest uh, this morning is Patrick Burns, real estate and land use attorney with Elstein Sharp and Circa. And now, Patrick, I want to move on to another topic, uh, view corridors and homeowner association rules. So view corridor corridors are common in Whatcom County. We've got the hills and some lovely views. Sometimes, sometimes they're in the homeowner association rules. And, you know, as far as you can't block views with trees or whatnot. And sometimes it's a handshake agreement. Uh, what would someone need to do to ensure that the view is protected? What's the process? Good question, Mary Kay. I think to ensure that the view is protected, you're going to want something in writing that's recorded with the Whatcom County Auditor to to protect your rights. A handshake agreement, um, while better than nothing, is is probably not going to get you where you want to go, especially when property changes hands, when a neighbor moves or someone passes away. The new neighbor may not want anything to do with that handshake agreement. So definitely something in writing. And there's a few ways that that can be done. Um, a common way is in HOA communities or, or subdivisions, um, there are often CCNRs um, that are recorded, and those are going to, in a lot of cases, um, provide restrictions on the height of, of trees on property, of structures, um, sometimes with reference to a certain view, whether it's mountains or, or water or something like that. Um, so you might see something in there that no trees over 20 feet are allowed that impede water views of the neighbors. Um, or the other option um, is, 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 again, an easement between the parties. You can have a view easement that um, provides whatever you agree with your neighbor, basically. Um, and oftentimes you, you, will, you, know, you will pay your neighbor for the easement. Usually there's consideration in order to have a legally enforceable agreement, right? That, but that w- may well be worth it to you if, if the view is, is really valuable. And it, of course, may help your, your home value too. Oh, of course. Of so, course. It can be significant mm-hmm. depending on the view. Right. And yeah. And some, of the, some homes are, you know, really the view is, is, is a, a great portion of the value. So sometimes it's, it's well worth it to protect that. Um, so it, as far as enforcing those kinds of things, um, that's, you know, the devil's in the details, <laughs> right? That's the, another question. Yeah. And, and it can, de- it can depend on what the documents say, right? So, um, if you've got CCNRs and, um, and you've got a functioning homeowners association. Sometimes um, the CCNRs will allow the homeowners association to uh, to assess fines, maybe against a neighbor with a hearing process. It it has to be spelled out in the bylaws, and there's usually a pretty formal procedure that's followed. They're not just willy nilly allowed to um, impose penalties on a neighbor, but sometimes they'll have some power. Um, oftentimes, what 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 I'll want to see as a lawyer is something that gives the homeowner the right to enforce the covenant themselves. And, and usually that's going to come in the form of allowing you to go to court to, to get an injunction, it's called, which is an order from the court that requires compliance with the covenant. So, for example, it, it could uh, compel your neighbor to top their trees or to remove a structure. Um, that's going to be sort of the fallback option. Of course, again, with anything else, you know, you don't want to lead with a lawsuit, you're going <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> yeah. to yeah. <laughs> um, you're gonna want to talk to your neighbor first and see see if you can work out the disagreement. Um, th- there may be other procedures in the HOA documents, but often as a fallback, they'll provide that that an owner has the right to go to court to enforce, enforce the covenants. Because you can't just go over there and chop down the tree yourself. Not with that. No. No. <laughs> no <laughs> that yeah. would be bad. That would be bad, right. And there are... Um, pretty strict timber trespass laws in Washington that that impose um, statutory liability, usually for, depending on the situation, for for people that improperly cut down trees. So uh, definitely don't do that. But um, that that brings up a good point, actually. Um, If you are negotiating a private easement with a neighbor, really... The, the best thing that you could get in there is is language that allows you to go on your neighbor's property and do the work yourself. And Be- pay for it. And, I would, and, yeah. Yeah, you typically and pay for it. Um, but you then you've got the power. You don't have to, you know, send them a, a bunch of letters saying, hey, hey, can you, you know, when you get around to it, could you trim these trees and, and wait for them, you know, and have them ignore you? You can actually just, you can go over there, hire your company and go do the work yourself, and then you've got it taken care of. So I've seen easements like that that give give you the actually the, the power to enforce them, and that's probably the the best way to do it if you can get 
that deal. Yeah, with with consideration, like you said, it's like, look, here's ten thousand dollars or whatever, and mm-hmm. I'll assume all of the liability. And those trees are getting, you know, I'm thinking the trees are really big, and you know, at at some point, sometimes they get old, and then there's a hazard. You know, if there's a storm and there's big winds, and you know, the tree breaks and you know, could cause damage to your property. It could be it could be a benefit to the to the existing homeowner. That's right. Yeah. Arborist work isn't always cheap. So you may be benefiting no. them. And, and you're right. If you if you do identify a dangerous tree on your neighbor's property and, and you notify them about it, then if it if it does fall down and damage your property, then they are going to be liable for it. So you you may yeah. actually maybe kind kind of a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well I want to move on to the next type of organization for homes, which is condos. And condos in our area and lots of communities have homeowners association agreements. Often there's one owner, one who doesn't follow the rules. They park their RV in the driveway. There's a bunch of storage containers in the front yard, or they let a tree grow too big, which we've sort of discussed just recently. Um, what is the remedy for the owners in the association? What can they do if they're not like that RV's been there for two months now? What do you, what can they do? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, usually, you're so condos are generally formed by a, a declaration of condominium, and that is going to be a pretty detailed document, often you know, 60, 80 pages or more, that really lays out everything uh, having to do with the ownership, management, maintenance of the the condominium, and and that document often will contain restrictions, um, rules, procedures. So you're going to definitely want to check the declaration, the CCNRs. Usually, it's going to be um, something in writing that that will allow that will say, you know, whether the board has power to impose um, assessments. For example, maybe there's a special assessment procedure um, if an owner's in violation, and and those rules are are pretty detailed. Um, I think often there's a you know notice and opportunity to be heard before um, a, a penalty can be levied. But you're you're going to want to yeah check the the recorded documents and the um, you know a title company or a lawyer can help you find those with the county. They they're all public record. Um, your real estate agent of course um, can help you pull those up, review those. You know see what your rights are. Um, but but it's often going to be in in what's in the documents that created the condominium. Because I would imagine you um, the first you know. I mean, like we've said before, talk to the neighbor, talk to your neighbor, like talk to them and say, hey, I don't know if you're aware, but, you know, you're not supposed to be parking your RV. It's like, oh, oh, you know, I forgot all about that. I'm, you know, and if you can resolve it that way, that's fine. And and the, the CCNRs then should spell out, well, if if there's no, the RV is still there and they got, well, tough. I'm going to, who's going to make me kind of thing. Um, then there would be a process, I would imagine, they could go to the, the board and make a formal complaint, and then whatever that process is detailed, which is why CCNRs are so important, and it's important to read and understand them. Right. Definitely something to familiarize yourself with if you're if you're looking at purchasing a condo, um, something to be aware of. Yeah, what, what are the procedures, right? Because you're in fairly close proximity to your neighbors, and a lot of your experience is going to depend on what your neighbors are like. So, um, yeah, really good point. Something that you'll want to review carefully as part of your purchase decision. Well, and it's it's also it's you're not just purchasing a unit, you're purchasing into a community, and how that community is run. So you want to you know check those if you're going to try to run a business out of your house or you know other kinds of things. Um, it, it, the pets sometimes there's pet restrictions and I mean there's there's all sorts of stuff that's in there. Exactly. Yes, you'll want to be familiar with that. What does that allow? You know. What are the assessments going to be? Obviously, a mm-hmm. big issue because you're, you know, you're turning over some of the maintenance decisions, a lot of the maintenance decisions for the building and and that kind of thing to, you know, to someone else, to a board. And so you'll want to know, you know, who's on the board, what have the assessments been, you know, what what can I expect going forward? Because you know, that's- and the board, the board has to be a good steward because there's a. And this is the the push pull of any condo that the owners, all the owners, of course, want the lowest monthly you know fees as possible, but there are um, maintenance things that have to be addressed, and you know we have to anticipate. It's not like there's a you can get a put them on a condo credit card. <laughs> <laughs> you have to anticipate that ahead of time and and manage that, and that's the it's the fiduciary responsibility of the board to plan for those things. And now the law requires. Um, 
uh, envelope assessment. They they assess the status of the building and what what should they plan on roof, you know, paint. Right. And when you're selling a condo, um, you need to provide a resale certificate that's going to lay out, you know, some of the history of, of assessments, I think. And um, I can't remember exactly, but maybe planned upcoming assessments, yes. you know, so people have some idea of what they're getting into. But, yeah. you know, you don't want to buy into a building with a lot of deferred maintenance and, and then move in and get hit with a huge special assessment in your exactly. first or second year there because no one's paid for the, any repairs before. Well, read that resale certificate and look at all those financials. Those are important. So we're going to be back after a break talking with Patrick about lo- owning land in Whatcom County or property and what are the potential legal consequences in different areas. And we'll be back after a break. My name is Marcus Vierta, and I manage a small business here in Whatcom County called Western Solar. Every day I see firsthand the impact good jobs have on the lives of people. Sharon Shoemake is an economist and a mom who brings practical, real-life experience to the state Senate. I became an economist to help people. Now I'm running for state Senate to fix our broken housing market, create jobs, lower taxes on working people, and build an economy that works for everyone. Paid for by People for Sharon, Democrat. You have job openings. We have HireMeWa.com. HireMeWA.com is Cascade Radio Group's new hyper-local job board. It's free and easy to use. Just upload your openings today. Plus, job seekers can post resumes, too. Through the power of radio, we'll make HireMeWa.com the go-to job board in Northwest Washington. Tell your friends, your manager, your favorite local business. HireMeWA.com is live now and free to post. Go to HireMeWA.com. Are you on Medicare? Hi, this is Marcia Neal with Vibrant USA. The Medicare annual enrollment period is underway. This is the time of year to review your Part D prescription drug plan or Medicare Advantage plan and make changes for January 1st. If you need assistance reviewing your plan options this year, give Vibrant USA a call at 866-733-5111. There is never a fee for our service and our friendly agents will be happy to assist you. Staying connected with your community each Saturday at noon with KGMI's Community Connection as local business leaders share their expert advice. Sponsored by Vibrant USA, Pacific Security, Lighthouse Mission Ministries, Feller Heating and Air Conditioning, and Columbia Fire. Community Connection, Saturdays at noon on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to the Walken Report. Mary Kay Robinson here is your host, and we're talking all things legal with land ownership or condo ownership here in Whatcom County with Patrick Burns, a local expert and land use attorney. And I want to talk about, you know, seller disclosure. So say we've just moved into a house and something regarding the condition of the house in that seller disclosure was not quite complete. Um, they didn't disclose previous damage or mold. What are the options for the new owner? Yeah, so the first thing you're probably going to want to do is look at the seller disclosure statement. And that's a, a form required by statute in Washington where the home seller um, has to answer uh, uh, several dozen questions at least about the condition of the home, title, that kind of thing, um, including any damages to the house. And the standard under that is is sort of strict, actually. Um, the, the seller's not going to be liable for non-disclosure unless they had actual knowledge of the issue and failed to disclose it. Um, so if, for example, you move in and the roof leaks uh, in the first big rainstorm and, and you look at the seller disclosure and the seller said, no, the roof has never leaked, you might think, oh, we got him. You know, they've, they've definitely lied on this. But then you've got to think about how are you going to prove that they actually knew there was a roof leak? You know, for example, maybe you talk to the neighbors and they say, Oh, we saw you know a repair company out here last winter that was that was looking at the roof, and maybe you can corroborate it that way. Um, but without you know sort of a third party to to say how the seller had knowledge, you you might be looking at proving a claim through the seller, which is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, yeah, if they don't know, if they don't know that there's mold in the attic, they don't go up there. How would they know? Exactly. Yeah, they 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 very well may not know, and and in that case, if they if they check don't know um, or even know, they're likely not going to have liability. So, it's it's a a, a bit of a tough standard, um, and so you're gonna you know 
you're going to want to get a really good inspection of the house. And you, you may think, you know, well, what if my inspector misses something? You know, can I can I go after him? Um, the answer, it's going to depend on the, usually you're going to sign a contract with the inspector and usually it's going to have a limitation of liability provision that's going to limit their liability to you often to, you know, $250, $500 of the amount you paid for the inspection. Um, so there, and those are usually enforceable. So uh, unless there's some maybe actual fraud on the inspector's part, but just, just missing something usually isn't going to do it. Um, and I hate to even go here with you, Mary Kay, but sometimes people might look at their real estate agent and say, you know, well, they didn't, they knew and they didn't tell me anything. And, and those, those claims can be hard to prove too, as, as yeah. you probably. Well, we have a code of ethics. So, you know, we, we try to abide, we abide by that, of course, but that's, it's difficult. It's a high bar. It's a high standard. Mm-hmm. And, and dovetailing similar to that, there's some people buy a brand new home. So something similar um, and they go, well, there's an automatic, you know, builder one year warranty. So it's all covered for a year. It's like, eh, not quite. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Um, if, if you do, um, if you do buy a new home, um, you will get something called the implied warranty of habitability. And that's going to cover basic structural defects, um, you know, things that, that render the home uninhabitable, basically. So major things. So it's not, Hey, my stove doesn't work. You know, can you come out and fix this? That's that's not going to be covered. Um, but often a, a new home builder is is going to give you an express warranty, right? So in the in the um, the purchase and sale documents, they'll often try to provide you their own warranty, and they will attempt to disclaim that implied warranty um, and substitute their own warranty. Now, a, you know, a common one is a um, two ten home builders. Right? Yep. You probably I've see seen that those. all the time. <laughs> um, so that will typically provide, you know, one year of coverage for defects in workmanship, um, two year, two years for systems like HVAC or plumbing, and then you know up to ten years for structural defects, depending on the terms of the policy and um, maybe the state you live in. But you're yeah, you're not going to get an automatic one year thing. But usually with a new home, you know, you will, you will, you know, probably have a punch list, right? Sometimes you move in and you you can make um, you know punch list requests for thirty days or, or whatever it may be. Um, so you will get a little more protection usually, but um, again, it's gonna it's gonna kind of depend on the warranty documents often. Right. And systems means, like you said, plumbing, HVAC, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean that the ice maker's not working in the fridge. Mm-hmm. That's that's not this. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an appliance. Yeah. That's probably they're probably gonna say, you know, hey, you 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 get the the benefit of um, you know GE's warranty on this appliance, but we're not warranting. You right. know, and they're short. Typically, those appliance yeah, warranties. Right. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're always short. It's right after the warranty expires <laughs> that the the ice maker goes. Which we had that on our on our fridge, but it lasted ten years. So I was, you know, I thought, well, we did pretty good on that one. There you go. So I think that's really important for people to know that they're not. It's not a blanket warranty that covers everything. And and you know, the the builder may add this to from a marketing standpoint because they want to you know, attract a, a high offer to give people confidence in that structure and in the building and then their workmanship, et cetera. But it does it's not, doesn't cover the gamut. Right. That's right. And and one one other quick point, Mary, uh, Mary Kay, is if you're if you're getting a home custom built or remodeled and you're entering into a contract with the contractor, you have a lot of freedom to negotiate the warranties then. So that's definitely a point where we'd say, you know, have an attorney look at these documents because you, you may be able to get quite a bit more warranty coverage than they would provide you otherwise. So that yeah. that's a good opportunity. Whereas if you're buying a home from a developer, they're going to give you their standard warranty. Right. It's not going to be a negotiation. Right. It's there's a boilerplate, but that's a good point because then that's and that's the time to do it, not after the fact. It's before before you do the work. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to finish up our conversation with Patrick Burns after a break. From heat waves to flooding, record cold to labor and supply shortages, last year was a doozy. Let's take this year head on with a Silver Shield membership so you and your home are ready for whatever the coming seasons have in store. Hi, I'm John Barron, owner of Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. Achieve peace of mind with your HVAC electrical and or plumbing equipment, bringing it back to its original operating specifications with a Barron Silver Shield membership. Things happen. Especially when the weather turns. As a Silver Shield member, you'll receive worry-free whole home coverage, including a performance maintenance, service and equipment discounts, priority scheduling, and more. 
So prep for fall now, before the weather changes. Sign up for SilverShield and save 20% on your tuna, keeping your home's most important systems running safely, reliably, and efficiently all year. Visit BarronHeating.com for details. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. Looking for vintage treasures and antiques? Bellingham Coin has got you covered. But did you know Bellingham Coin is also the prime place to go for precious metals? They pay top dollar for gold and silver, and there's never been a better time than right now to invest in silver to hedge against recession. The friendly staff at Bellingham Coin will teach you how to invest wisely in precious metals for a future that shines a little brighter. Come find your hidden treasures by visiting us at the Bellingham Coin Shop on Cornwall Avenue in Bellingham and at BellinghamCoin.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Welcome back to the Walk and Report. Mary Kay Robinson here with Patrick Burns, and we're finishing up our conversation about legal issues with owning property in Whatcom County. And Patrick, if someone wants to get, we've talked about, we've covered a lot of ground uh, this morning. Um, if someone wants to get more information about any of these issues um, that we've covered, what resources are available to them? Oh, I think you know the professionals in the community are definitely a good place to start, right? So you're your real estate agent's going to have a lot of knowledge. Um, it's a good answer. <laughs> I thought you might <laughs> like that one. <laughs> um, the title company, you know, Whatcom Land Title, Chicago Title, Guardian Title here in town, um, they're, they're going to be able to help out with, que- you know, questions about what's on title, um, that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, of course, you're well, you can contact an attorney. Um, we're located in downtown Bellingham. Um, our website is adelstein.com. Um, you're welcome to look us up. Uh, our phone number is 360-671-6565. Um, and typically, I'll, I'll talk with clients um, free of charge in an initial phone call just to see if there's any, you know, try to get a sense of what the issue is. Is it something we can help with, you know, and then provide sort of an estimate of, of what the fees might be, you know, what we might be able to do and, and maybe give a couple options. So um, I would say don't hesitate to reach out to an attorney if you have questions. Um, we're not that scary, and um, <laughs> we might be able to point you in the right direction. Fabulous. Well, thank you. Thank you. This is great information. Thank you so much for educating me and the listeners out in uh, Whatcom County land. You're welcome, Mary Kay. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And, of course, thank you, listeners, for tuning in this morning. Real estate is typically the biggest investment we'll make in our lives, and if you own real estate or are looking to buy or sell, it's important to understand the legal aspects of that ownership. And remember that if you want to listen to this again, this broadcast will be available as a podcast by going to the KGMI website, The Walk and Report, and click on the podcast link. Have a fantastic Sunday, everyone.